Hello and welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. It's a good thing that my family doesn't listen to this podcast, especially my teenage daughters, because today I'm going to be talking about the beauty and the mess. And before I hit the record button, I started to laugh because I really love this idea of there's beauty in the mess. And I use this all the time with my clients about the beauty and the mess. There's one area that I would have an exception for is the mess in the house that I'm not really okay with. I don't see the beauty. Um, I guess I can work myself through it and make it much better. And we'll talk about that as we go through the show today. But today I'm talking about the beauty in the mess. It's a deep dive. So get out your notebook so you can take notes so that you can implement this into your life. Because information is great. It's supportive and it, it rings those bells in our heads about what we believe or it gives us insights. But it's until we take action, that's when transformation happens. And the transformation happens not the one time you take action, but you have to practice. You have to practice day in and day out. So here's an example of this. We'll go back to my little world of swimming. So I often have parents who want their kids to learn how to swim. And and I have a very high standard. Our organization has a very high standard of proficiency. And it's 300 yards of continuous swimming freestyle with side breathing, with proper exhale and inhalation. You have to be able to blow bubbles. Big bubbles, no troubles, no bubbles, big troubles. And if you don't aren't very good at air exchange in the pool, you totally understand that. And 300 yards in, in the United States is a 25-yard pool. So that's 12 lengths, which is 12 laps. It's the same thing. And what I have found is it takes about three summers of summer swim team to get to that proficiency. It's about 100 to 150 hours. And I give this to the parents because they often come to us and they've been to a swim school and they say, but we've been doing this for two years. And I break down the math and I go, well, actually once a week, you have a 30 minute lesson and it's shared with three other kids. So maybe your kid is getting about 10 minutes of volume of work. And you look about what we do, we get 45 minutes of volume of work. So it's very different, but it takes practice. I can't teach somebody how to swim in six hours and I'm a really good swim coach. And so I give you guys this in the fact that it takes practice. It's not just the knowledge. When I used to teach beginning swimming at the college and I'd have students who didn't want to participate for different reasons, menstrual cycles, all kinds of stuff, or they were sick and they just want to sit in the bleachers. And my rule always was, if you're not in the water doing it, the day doesn't count. Go take your time and go take the absence and go do homework, go do work, go take care of your family, whatever it may be, so that you can later come back and actually practice because they had a few freebies that they can miss and it wasn't going to affect their grade. Because the learning comes from getting the pool and doing the work. So my friend, the learning here in our space together is about doing this work. It's about applying it, screwing yourself, screwing it up and allowing yourself to screw it up because that's part of the process. And then picking yourself back up and practicing some more and really learning about it. And then that's how you get it in your bones to the point where my swimmers are be able to swim 300 yards and they do the side breathing and it's the easiest thing on the planet. And they don't even remember the struggles that they once had when they first started out. That's what I my vision is for you. So get a notebook and take some notes so that you can go and practice this and implement it and integrate it in your life. So the beauty in the mess, I'm going to be talking about today, the teacher, how it's the teachers in our lives, the lessons from the mess, 
and becoming resilient. So do you believe, do you have this belief that, man, once you arrive, once you become enough, once you have achieved the level of success, once you have the title, once you finish school, whatever it is, once you get married, whatever it is that you are shooting for, that you've been working hard for, that you've been aiming for, that there will no longer be messes. That's what I thought. Once I can just be perfect enough, this is my 20-year-old self, then there will no longer be messes. But if there are messes, it's because I'm a loser. That was one of my big limiting beliefs. And I believed if I planned and if I achieved and I did it all perfectly, no messes. So then I overachieved because there were still messes. But here's the thing, is that that actually creates a lot of pain and frustration inside of us to believe that once we, once we attain a certain level in our life, that there won't be messes. There's always messes. One of the things that I always say to myself is that I live an amazing life. I do. Like my 16-year-old self would look at my 46-year-old self life and go, wow, is that really possible for you, for somebody like you? And absolutely it is because I'm the same person, just 30 years older. But it came through going through lots of messes to allow that this to occur. And that's why we have to let go of that. There shouldn't be any messes because the messes have so much beauty in them that they can help you transform in your own life. So the first one I want to talk about is teachers, the teachers in our lives. So often I'll have clients that will come and they'll be upset about somebody. It could be a spouse, it could be a boss, it could be a friend, and they're really, really having troubles with them. And they'll verbally vomit and that's their place to do that with me. And they put out all their stuff. And then I ask, and as we do the work is, how is this person a teacher in your life? And we often don't want the person that aggravates us, annoys us, that we don't like (laughs) <laughs> that we may trigger judgment to be our teachers, right? We want we want the teachers to be the the ones who are just so kind and loving, but the people that trigger the shitstorms in our lives, they're your teachers. So when you can reframe it and go, wow, they are a teacher. And so like, for example, one of my clients had this friend who she really wanted to be like BFFs forever, BFFs, and they were close and vulnerable in a period of time when there was a difficult time in this friend's life. And then at some point, she the woman couldn't handle the vulnerability. My client made it mean that there was something wrong with her, that she wasn't worthy of love and belonging. And that, my friend, is a huge trigger for all of us because we want to belong. We are hardwired for connection. So there's nothing wrong with you. You're not needy because you want love and belonging. But her friend may not have the capacity to be vulnerable anymore it was easier just to go back to her old way of being and being armored up and doing things more on the shallows. No, no judgment about it. But if my client wanted something deeper, she'd either have to find it with somebody else, definitely find it with herself, and let go of this this idea of how this relationship was supposed to be. And so then my client wound up working on her belonging to herself. And this friend was a teacher for her because when it would trigger in her, see, there's something wrong with me. I'm not enough because she doesn't want to be with me. She's not inviting me so-and-so. This friend was a teacher to my client because then it was, well, what do I believe about myself? 
you know, and my clients started to realize like, I'm a really good friend. You know, there are people that do love to spend time with me. There are people that I love to spend time with. And I also love to spend time with myself. So this friendship, which caused a lot of pain because of the stories that it triggered in my client, this friend was a great teacher for her. So that's one way. Another way can be when you have a boss who offloads pain. So I have another client who has a belief that her CEO should be a fantastic leader and he should, you know, she doesn't say this, but often don't you read a book like Brene has her latest Dare to Lead book and you read this and go, wait, here's the research. Why aren't you doing this? This is a known factor in making companies and organizations so much better. Well, again, let's go back to the beginning of the show. Implementation is really hard. Knowledge is easy to obtain. To implement it and to act on it is really hard. And then how many people really want to look at, wow, this is what I'm supposed to be doing and this is what I'm not doing and I'm out of alignment. So for this client, thinking that her CEO should be a better leader and really implement the stuff and not offload his pain and anger and manage better, when he's the founder of the company, he may not know how to be a good leader. And so for her is he's a teacher in one area that we worked on was her not taking on his pain, really going through and what is he saying that is true? What is he saying that may not be true? And really deciphering it without her going into her own shame spiral. Because here's the thing about shame. Shame is highly contagious. It will go down his pant leg across the floor, up her pant leg and around her neck. And it's a noose, right? So we don't want to take on shame. And it's about really having the perspective of what is true and what is not true. And then especially in a workplace environment, where she can check in with other members to say, here's what I'm thinking, what is true, what's not true. If she can't go back to her boss, her boss is a teacher for her because it allows her to practice empathy and self-compassion. And those two things, my friend, are the antidotes to shame. Empathy and self-compassion. Having perspective is one of the attributes for empathy. So you have that perspective and you check in like, what is true? What is not true? Where is the gap? And instead of thinking somebody else should be doing this so that I can feel better, here's where it gets fantastic and you get to empower yourself. You can get rid of the gap between how it's how you are feeling and how you want to feel by reframing this. So once again, the people that trigger us and trigger our what that what happens is they do something and then triggers in our brain the old story of I'm not enough, there's something wrong with me. I'm a loser is my old story, which then we typically feel shame and we think we want to run away when really when we can go, wait, what is true? What's not true? Oh, maybe I delivered late on this project. And and I could see that my boss is upset about this. And what were the things that got in the way? Was it that I had too much work? Was I distracting myself over here? And really just take perspective from a compassionate place, not a self-beating, because that's just indulgent. It doesn't help you get the end result that you want. So again, One of the beauties of the mess when your boss is offloading, when a friend may not be cultivating the same kind of relationship that you want, is that they can become teachers in our lives. And the same thing with a spouse or with your children is they are teachers in your lives because what happens is, is they're going to trigger all these crappy beliefs that we believe about ourselves. And for us to excavate and say, 
what is really true about the story and what is not true? What am I making it mean? And what is not true about that? And so really allowing for that reflective process to occur so you become aware of what it is that you're choosing to think. And I know often people say, really, Corinne, I just have to manage my mind. It just really comes back to it. Well, what's the choice? Like the alternative kind of sucks, doesn't it? I was working with an athlete and in um, coaching her on a lot of the stuff for her performance and her mindset. And I explained to her, I said, so here's the thing. I said, you could be like, well, Corinne, I don't really need it, you know, because I'm doing pretty well and I'm, you know, a high level athlete and so on and so forth. And I said, but it's kind of, and I go, it's just like side breathing. When the kids who don't want to learn how to turn their head to breathe, to blow out bubbles, to inhale, and be able to do that in freestyle, Michael Phelps makes it look so easy. He makes swimming look so easy, right? But that's a high level skill. And so they can lift up their head when they're learning how to swim because they're like, I don't need this. See, I can lift up my head. And that's what all of you are saying. Hey, Corinne, I don't need to manage my mind. I don't need to like deal with these thoughts anymore. But if you don't, then you're always preventative drowning. And it's not very fun nor easy. Like if you're not a swimmer and I'm a swimmer, even though I haven't been a swimmer since 1994, um, I was was a competitive swimmer in a different century. But if I were to jump back in the pool, I'm not going to use that much energy because I have this skill set down. That is the same thing as managing your mind and being able to reframe is that it allows you to have so much freedom because you're not indulging in the drama. Okay. So when we can reframe these people in our lives, the people that we're having troubles with, the people that, you know, are quote annoying us, the people that we don't like, the people that you want them to love you. And it's not that you're not getting that result that you want. When you can reframe it, they are my teachers. And the question that you ask yourself is, what's the lesson here? And just allow yourself to explore that. Come from a place of curiosity. Have love for them. Have love for yourself because it just feels so much better that way. The next point that I want to bring about the beauty and the mess are the lessons from the mess. And again, when we can perceive it, and maybe when you're in the middle of the storm, you can't What's the lesson to be learned? You know, you've been diagnosed with cancer, your spouse leaves you, you get fired from a job. It's so hard when you're in the middle of the storm to say, oh, yippee skippy. There's a there's a there's a lesson in here and I'm gonna uncover it. No, you're dealing with grief, you're dealing with shame. Feel those emotions, right? It's typically when we're on the other side or as we're coming out, we can start to realize, oh, there are lessons here. But when you're in the mess, One of the things that's really helps me and my clients is to say to myself, hey, Corinne, there's beauty in the mess. You don't see it right now. You don't even know how it's going to come out. But just trust and know that there will be beauty in this mess and in this pain and in the suffering, because that's really where the beauty is born. And that's where our transformation, the things that I'm so great at came out of the arenas of my life where I had tremendous struggle in different chapters of my life, like money, I'm really good with money, but growing up, we didn't have money. And the reason that I'm the beauty of it is that I learned how to manage money because I didn't want to have to go back to that kind of situation that I grew up in. So 
looking at for the lessons, having introspection, instead of indulging in, this is the mess, it shouldn't be happening, you know, this is horrible, this sucks, and really like, remember the swampland of shame, living in the swampland, having, pitching the tent, building the campfire, story fondling over and over and over about how you've been wronged and how this shouldn't be happening. And I, as I even talk about that, I can feel my body chemistry change because I'm pretty aware of that kind of thing now. But that's what I used to do. I used to live in the swampland and I would have these people and they were so kind and so generous and they would come and they would sit. And then at some point they'd be exhausted and they would eventually crawl out because I'd let them go because I'd find a new person to put in that swampland with me and they'd sit and then it would just keep repeating. And I never felt better. That's indulging. Instead of identifying this is what's going on. It's not great. It's horrible. This is really hard. And what's the lesson in this mess? The other part that can be a really great lesson in any mask is that it can force us to ask for help. We may not be really good at asking for help or receiving help, but there are times in our lives that we must have help. I think of, I'm in California and I think of all the fires that we've had and we've had communities destroyed and the people that have like the beauty and the mass of these fires is that the people who have shown up to go and help people that they didn't know. I mean, I've had so many friends that were running up stuff to Chico area, to paradise, to the camp firefighters because they need things, right? I have another friend who owns a swim school and she shut down at first. And then she realized, why don't I open it up? Because she was trying to figure out how could she help her community? And she opened it up for free swim so that people could have a place to go and where they could just, you know, feel a little bit better. And so she opened it up for her community. And there's the beauty in the mess of that, like the people that show up and how often maybe you don't want to accept help and stuff. But when all of a sudden you don't have anything you're accepting food, you're accepting clothing, you're accepting deodorant, whatever it may be. And so there, that's an extreme example. But one of the lessons of the mass is that receiving help, and I also invite you to ask for help, and that's vulnerable and hard, and it's not my strong suit, but really learning how to ask for help. That can be one of the lessons from the mass. Okay. So the ability to have introspection and maybe not right in the middle of it, but maybe even a day or two out of it and go looking back and going, Oh, here's the beauty in the mess. These are the lessons that I learned. And when you're in the middle of the mess, just remind yourself that there will be beauty. There really will be. And sometimes that beauty took me two years two years to understand. I mean, I can remember I was going through a struggle about, you know, some things in my life and my profession many years ago. And, and I was at this uh, conference and I was at a talk that I was just there because a friend of mine was sitting there and somebody, the speaker said something and I went, oh my gosh, of course. That's why I left my job because my values didn't align up with the organization or with the department. We were not in alignment, but it took me two years because I was beating myself up so much. Like, why couldn't I have stayed? Why couldn't I have done that? There was beauty in that. So I give you that in the sense that look for the beauty in the mess, look for the lessons and ask for help, seek guidance, seek feedback, check in with the people who are on your team. And then finally, I want to talk about becoming resilient, the beauty in the mess. So one of the things that happens in the mess is 
Not when we're living in the swampland because there's no resiliency. That's just story following and we just indulge in the pain and suffering and about how horrible everything is and how it shouldn't be this way and um, that there should never be a mess. And if I was just only perfect enough, never would there be problems. Recently, there was a team that I was working with and it was like everything just kind of came to boiling head. And I, you know, was gathering all the information, the different stories from different people. And then I thought, wow, this is actually the best time for this to be happening because it's the beginning of the season and the start of school versus later on while they're in midterms or in finals and things weren't addressed until they build even further, right? There was the beauty of the mess. And of course, everybody's thinking like, look, we don't have time for this. This shouldn't be happening. And again, those are all toxic thoughts versus when you're like, hey, there's beauty in the mess. It allows you to solve things. It allows you to move through it. It allows you to mind the gap between what is happening and the direction you want your team to be going, whether it's an athletic team, you know, a work team, or your family's team. To, mind, to, to mend that gap, to get it more in alignment instead of having this huge gap in between. And so that's this idea about resilience. And a long time ago, I didn't understand what resilience was. Like I was, I was really good at persevering and, you know, I have this incredible work ethic and I can overcome. And the resilience is the ability to fall down and get back up. And here's the thing that's really important. When you fall down and you're getting back up, it doesn't mean that you get back up alone or that you should which is a huge judgment word should, that you should get up by yourself because sometimes you do need a hand to help you. Sometimes you do need somebody to walk the path with you. And sometimes my friend, you may need them to carry you. It does not mean that you're weak. It does not mean that you're broken or not good enough. We are not meant to go and do this alone. It's just about knowing who are the people that are on your team in this particular arena. And that is the thing that's really important that I want to address because there are certain people like obviously my husband, right? He's my life partner, but there are times that he may not be the person that I can go to because maybe it triggers a shame storm inside of him and, or maybe he doesn't have understanding or maybe he wants to jump in and fix it. He's not tends, he doesn't tend to be a fixer, but you know, those could be the things. He may not be that person. And so I have to look amongst my different teams of people of who is the person that can help me back up. And sometimes it's also just about letting the people show up. I mean, that's the beauty is who shows up when there's a mess, right? Let's go back to the campfires that are happening up north. The people that have shown up and took it upon themselves to bring gear, to go help, to open up their homes, to open up their businesses, those are the people that they showed up. So when you are thinking about needing a helping hand, sometimes it's just about the willingness to look up and see what hand is coming down to help you. And if there's not a hand, then it's the ability to ask for help, which is highly vulnerable and I get it, but do ask. So this resilience is falling down and getting back up. But remember, it's not about doing it alone, right? That is so, so important. We get into this like, oh, self-help, personal development. I should do this myself. I should do it alone. That's, we are hardwired for connection. We can be strong and powerful as individuals. We are 
so much more. We are unstoppable when we're part of a community, when we have a team, when we have somebody else to walk through it with. So go and cultivate that and make sure that when somebody shows up, that you reach out for their hand that they're bringing down for you to help you back up. The other thing about becoming resilient is that it allows you to have this deep knowing in who you are, what you stand for, and your values. And a lot of times, that's the beauty when you go through the mess. Like I look back at those difficult things that I've gone through, and they've made me a better leader, a better coach, a better mom, better wife, a better friend, because I went through the messes. Really what I wanted my younger self, my 20 year old self was like, don't make any messes, just be perfect. And so that, you know, of course, it just all comes easy to you, Corinne. Well, no, it takes a lot of practice, right? And so this deep knowing when you go through the mess and can be reflective and can be curious and introspective, not beating yourself up, that's not allowed. But go inside and check in with, okay, what do you know? And then the other thing about this idea of going through the beauty of the mess. And when you come out the other side, especially years down the road, is that you just have evidence, right? You're like, look, I can get myself back up. I've done this. I can't tell you how often like swimmers will say, well, I did hell week. Like this isn't so hard. Navy SEAL training. Seriously, that was a quote from one of our former swimmers, right? But, you know, I've given childbirth. This isn't so hard. Or I've lost my job before. And I was able to get back up, like reminding yourself, or I had tremendous anxiety. And with the help of my doctor and myself or my spouse, I was able to get back up. These are all true stories. And reminding yourself that, hey, these are things that I can do. And if I'm capable of doing this, what else am I capable of doing? And then the other thing about resilience that's so important is remembering. You may not want to, but yes, you can do hard things. This is such an important reminder for me that I have it hanging in our kitchen wall. (laughs) I think my kids kind of ignore it, but hopefully there's subconscious programming that's going on. But it just says we can do hard things. You know, not everything has to be hard. Not everything has to be enduring. But man, those hard times, those messes, I remind myself, I can do hard things. There's beauty in the mess. And I also remind myself, oh yeah, this is vulnerability. I may not like how it feels, but this is vulnerability and it's the pathway to what I want, love, belonging, connection, doing meaningful work, allowing myself to fully show up in my life. That is the pathway. So to wrap up the show, there is so much beauty in the mass. You may not be able to see it in the moments that you're going through it when you're in the middle of the storm, because at that point, you're just trying to survive. And I get that. But the thing that can help you when you're in the middle of the storm is just to remind yourself and say, there's beauty in the mess. And this is what I say to myself, Corinne, there's beauty in the mess. You may not see it right now. Right now is very important, but there is beauty and you will find it. And you say that to yourself over and over as you're going through the mess. And remember out of that mess, it could be... that we'll have teachers in our lives. And we ask ourselves, what's the lesson? And we ask ourselves, what's the lesson of the mess? And you allow yourself to be compassionate and empathetic and have introspection and to really focus on the growth. And you ask for help and you seek guidance doesn't mean you're weak and you receive help. So, so important. 
And then the next idea is about becoming resilient. When we go through the mass and we come out the other side, we become resilient. We fall down, we get back up. This, my friend, is an important part of life, right? It's so easy to watch the highlight reel of everybody else's lives and to see like, oh, this is great. They just had it. But when we really go underneath and we understand they've had fears, they've had difficult moments, they've had people who've hated them, so on and so forth. Understanding that and realizing that we can become resilient, which actually makes us more empowered in our own lives and the ability that we can have our own backs. So when you get to know who you are and what's important to you and what your values are, and you get to show up authentically in your life and always remember that, yes, you can do hard things. Now I realize, like it's so great. So I want you to take that paper, focus on a key point. Maybe there's, maybe there's the what's the lesson, or oh this person's my teacher, or oh yes, Corinne, there is beauty in the mess. Maybe that's what you take and you just implement that into your life and integrate it over and over as you go through. Especially in the next six weeks, there's going to be lots of messes with the holidays and with the new year and trans transitions. Right? There's going to be new messes, so just remind yourself of that. Maybe that's all that you need. You know, and you practice and you fall down. And if you still go, Karen, this is great, but I need structure. I need help with this. I don't want to do this alone. That's okay. I've got you covered because I've got just the thing. It's one of my favorite things of all is that I have my enough group coaching program. And this is where we talk about the concepts here and the teachings from the show. And we take that intellectual knowledge and we implement it and integrate it into your real life. And you get to practice it so that you live it in your bones. And so here's the thing. I'm going to be opening up the enough group soon. I'm going to be announcing it here in a few weeks. So I don't want you to miss out until then. Get yourself on the wait list. There's a link in the show notes and click that link and you'll be the first notified. Until next time, I'm smiling big for you. Remember, there's beauty in the mess and you can do hard things. You've so got this. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so 